This morning for our Old Testament lesson, we're going to be reading from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24, we'll be reading verses 1 through 3 and then verses 14 through 25. Joshua chapter 24, 1 through 3, then 14 through 25. Then Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders and the heads and the judges and the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your ancestors, Terah and his sons Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates and served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. Then to verse 14. Now therefore revere the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness. Put away the gods that your ancestors served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Now if you're unwilling to serve the Lord... Choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods that your ancestors served in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. But after me and my household, we will serve the Lord. The people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For it is the Lord, our God, who brought us up and our ancestors up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did great things in our sight. He protected us along all the way that we went and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived among the peoples and the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord for he is our God. But Joshua said to the people, you cannot serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. and He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. The people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you're witnesses against yourself that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, we are witnesses. Then put away your foreign gods and that are among you, he said, and incline your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord, our God, we will serve and him we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and made statutes and ordinances with them at Shechem. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, there are certain things in our life that we renew. Uh, we renew our driver's license. And if you've ever had to do that before, you know that is a truly joyous experience to get to renew your driver's license. We renew all types of licenses, hunting licenses and professional licenses. We, we renew all kinds of stuff. Renewal is something that we just do within our life. We all have to renew something at some point. That's just something we do. There are certain promises that we make that we renew. Certain covenants, if you will. I think often of uh, the renewal of our wedding vows. What a beautiful moment that is. If you ever had a couple who renewed their wedding vows on a, on a significant anniversary, it's a, it's a beautiful sight to see two individuals that have been through so much renew the promises they made earlier in their life. It's a, it's a very sweet moment to see. I think of within the church, one of my favorite services that we do each year is done around the first of the year each year, and that's when we reaffirm or renew our baptismal covenant. It's a beautiful thing for us to repeat the vows that we made upon our baptism and to renew them and to promise them again. It's a very powerful moment where we reaffirm the things that we have said that we would do. 
Often these promises in a religious sense or in a, or in a scriptural sense are, are, are covenants. God in scripture is a God of covenant. God is a God who comes to us over and over and over and over again in the Bible and in our lives and makes with us covenant. We see it in Adam and Eve. If you do this, this will happen. We see it with Noah, where God said, I will no, I've made a covenant with you that I will no longer flood the earth. We see it with Moses, if you, with Abraham rather. If you follow me, it was referenced that in this text today. If you follow me, I will give you a land and a promise and offspring. We see it with Moses, how Moses gave the people the Levitical law and they affirmed that covenant. We see it with David, how God made a covenant with David. We see it in, in the new covenant of Jesus Christ and the covenant that he has with us that we are saved by grace through faith, lest no one can boast. God is a God that comes to us over and over and over again in the Bible with covenant. God's a God who wants to be in relationship with us. And that's what a covenant is. You can think of, think of it like a contract or think of something with a, as a relationship. God is a God of covenant. Covenants are promises. Where God promises to do something, and we promise to do something. Well, what we, what we read today here at Shechem was one of the most beautiful scenes to me in all the Bible, where the people renewed their covenant. They made a covenant with God that we're going to talk about in a minute, earlier in Deuteronomy. But now they're making, they're renewing this covenant, if you will. This is, if you will, they're renewing their, their wedding vows, if you will. They're renewing their baptism, if you will. They're renewing this promise that they made to God and that God made to them. And that's why it's interesting you read the text, you see Joshua push them and say, well, no, hold on. Don't just rush into this thing about what you're doing. If you, ever, if you ever look at a marriage ceremony, the very first part of the marriage ceremony is called the declaration of intent, where the preacher says, okay, guys, you sure you know what you're doing? For richer, for poor, and all this business? The first part of that wedding, that's not the, the first part of the wedding is not the vows. It's what's called the declaration of intent. It's where you're declaring, hey, I'm going to do this. No matter what happens, we're going to do this. Joshua's pushing the people here. Hey, 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 you say you want to worship the God, worship the Lord. Okay, but you can't do it because he's a jealous God. He's not going to play around with these things you're doing. This is for real. This is, for, this is serious. Do you know what you're doing? He was like, no, we want to do it. He's like, okay. Let's set up these statutes. Let's set up these witnesses. And Shechem becomes a sacred place for the people as they renewed their covenant vows with God. They renewed their wedding vows. They reaffirmed their baptism, if you will. They made this promise to God again. One of the things that Joshua talks about here is this concept of idolatry. And that really is the crux of the, the, Israel, the Israelite relationship with God. That's the first of the commandments, to worship God. That this notion of worshiping God and God alone is a big deal to God, obviously. Idolatry is an interesting thing to think about. Because I want to I unpack for you right now exactly what idolatry meant in the Old Testament. We think of idolatry... And we think of idolatry in terms of the bronze statues. We, I, I, think, I think for many of us, 
the typical idea we think of idolatry is that of the golden calf, where Aaron takes their golden rings, their bracelets, and melts them into a golden calf and kind of parades around with a golden calf, and they all fall and worship this golden calf. Ah, that's what we think of as idolatry. And by the way, let's be clear, that is idolatry. That's exactly what idolatry is. They are worshiping a false god. But I want, I, want, I want to take a moment and talk about exactly what is driving idolatry. Why do you think the people are like, hey, let's take our golden earrings, let's take our golden bracelets, and let's make a false god and worship that? Why would they do that? What is that about? Why does idolatry plague the people all throughout the Old Testament? If you look at the entire Old Testament, idolatry is one of the things that's a constant, a constant uh, thorn in the side of the people, a constant failing of the people, a constant way they messed up. What is that about? Well, it's very interesting here. It talks specifically about the Amorites and the gods of their neighbors. The typical God that the Amorites worshiped, the typical God that the Israelites would fall into idolatry with were a, a, a group of gods called the Ba- the Baals, B-A apostrophe, A-L, or Baals. That's, we often call them Baals, but Baal is also the pronunciation of it. And this was a class of Canaanite God, if you will. There really wasn't just one God, but it was a grouping of gods. And these gods were responsible in the Canaanite religion for two Main purposes. These were the these were the, the, the Canaanite religion was almost kind of like Greek mythology and Roman mythology, where you, certain gods were responsible for certain things, if you will. The, these Canaanite gods here, they they these Baals, these Baals, they had really two major overarching things they were responsible for, if you will. One was fertility, and one was the harvest. Well. Fertility, in that, or any context, is an important thing. Because if you're not able to have children, you're all, you won't have offspring. Your, your genetic line will cease. You won't have descendants. You won't have people to follow after you. Your line will cease. Fertility is a huge thing. Think about how many people in Scripture struggled with barrenness. Fertility is a huge deal. And without offspring, not only do you have it for the sake of honor, but you can't work the farm. You can't work the livestock. Think about David, how when Samuel came to, um, to anoint David as king or anoint one of Jesse's sons as kings, where they find David? Well, he was out tending the sheep. The family needed a lot of children to survive. So without fertility... Without offspring, the family would cease. So the, 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 the bales were responsible for fertility, but they were also responsible for the harvest. And most of Israel at this point, they would be what we would think of as subsistence farmers. They, they, they think about the story, the parable that Jesus told of, the, of the, uh, the, the sower and the seed. The people would have been familiar with that type of, of, of farming. This was not um, a huge acres, plots of land, um, this was a hard scrabble, hard life, hard existence. Israel is a hard place to farm. <clears throat> there is not much farmable land there. Probably the most farmable land is going to be up north in Galilee, but even Galilee is full of rocks. There, there, there's not a lot of places in the Holy Land to really do a lot of good farming. 
It's very difficult. To this day, it's very difficult. Fertility and the harvest. Those were the two things that the Baals oversaw for the Canaanites, if you will. Now, it's interesting. If you study the people of Israel, what you'll see when they fall into the trap of idolatry, you know what you'll see? They never stop worshiping God. They continue to follow the covenant. They continue to follow the Levitical law. They continue to do all the stuff of their religion. They never stopped worshiping God even when they were in idolatry. What they did was they worshiped God and they would worship these Baals. Well, why is that? Why, why is that? Well, think of it this way. All that God wants from, from us is faith. We, we read in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, we see without faith, it's impossible to please God. God demands of us faith. Faith is the path to please God. If we don't have faith, we can't be in relationship with God. Faith is the key. Without faith, we cannot please God. It is impossible to be in relationship with God apart from faith. That's all God wants from us is faith. Faith is that beginning point, and faith is the transformative point where everything else falls in place and falls in line. God demands, God desires, God wants that we have faith. That is the beginning. And faith is to trust God with everything, to trust God with all of our life, all of our family, all of our salvation, all of our eternity, is to lay our life completely before God, Romans says you, that we are a living sacrifice, laying our life, laying our all in, down at the altar before God. Trusting in God completely and totally. Idolatry says this, yes, God, we trust you. Yes, God, we trust you to take care of us. Yes, God, we have faith in you. Yes, God, we believe in you. Yes, God, you are our hope and our salvation. But just to be safe, just to hedge our bets, just to cover all of our losses, we're going to worship the Baals too. This is a hard life out here. We, 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 we know the Baals aren't really God. We know they're not you, God. We know, you're, we know they're not God. You're God. We know that. But just to be safe, we're going to worship them too. Idolatry at its heart is about the people who are not fully trusting in God. They don't fully trust in God to take care of them. They don't fully trust in God to provide for them. They don't fully trust in God to really make sure it's going to be okay. They trust in God, sure, but just to be safe, we're going to worship these idols too. That's what idolatry is about, y'all. It's about not placing our full faith and full trust in God. But having something else that we trust in as much as God. Aren't you glad we don't struggle with that nowadays, huh? Aren't you glad that was just a struggle they had back then? And not something we deal with now. 
You know, the book of Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. And the same things that they struggle with then are the same things we struggle with now. So maybe our idols aren't a golden calf paraded around our village. But maybe our golden, maybe our idol is the bottom line in our bank account. I trust in you, God, but I need my financial level to be at this certain point or else, or I'm not going to be faithful. Maybe our idolatry is our culture. I trust in you, God, but I need people to like me. I need to be well-liked. I need to be popular. I need to be, I need to be respected because that popularity stuff, that's not just something our kids struggle with. It's something we struggle with too as adults, isn't it, y'all? We want to be liked and, 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 and well thought of. We want, we want to be cool. We all do, sure. So yeah, God, I know that my identity is found in you above all else, but I, I, need, I, need, I need their approval as well. Maybe that's our idol. Maybe our idol's politics. Did you, I don't know if y'all know or not. Maybe you weren't paying attention. We had an election this week. Isn't that crazy? Maybe our God, I trust in you. God, I trust in you above all else. But for me to have total peace, I need things to work out like I want them to work out in this area. God is God no matter who's president. God is God no matter who's governor. God is God no matter any of this stuff. He is God, y'all. And our trust belongs to him and him alone above all else. He alone is worthy of our worship. He alone is worthy of our praise. He alone is worthy of our lives. I'm not saying these things are bad. It's good to have good financial sense. It's good to be respected. And it's good to be politically involved. These things are not bad. I'm not telling you not to do them. But I'm telling you this. They do not define you. God defines you. They do not provide you security and safety. God provides you security and safety. They do not define your life. God defines your life. Where is our security? Where is our trust? Where is our faith? It must be found in God, in God alone. Without faith, it's impossible to please God, is what the scriptures tell us. The Israelites struggled with idolatry. There's nothing new under the sun. We do as well. So today, Joshua lines them up. And, and they have this powerful scene where they renew the covenant. And, and Joshua pushes back on them. They say, we're going to worship God. And Joshua says, no, no, God's a jealous God. Don't say it if you don't mean it. Don't say it just to be nice. Don't say it to impress me. Don't say it if you don't mean it. God's a jealous God. Don't tell him you're going to be faithful if you don't intend to. He pushes back on them. They say, no, we mean it. We're going to worship God. We're going to worship God and God alone. We mean it. He's okay. They draw the contract. And they renew their vows. See, this, one of the original scenes that this renews is this powerful scene in Deuteronomy. Where Moses marches the people through this valley. And he said, choose. 
There's two mountains here. One mountain represents obedience. One represents disobedience. One represents blessings. One represents curses. Choose. Choose which mountain you're going to go to. Choose blessing or curses. Choose to obey the law or reject the law. Choose. Choose which path you're going to take. Choose which way you're going to go. And the people walk through the valley. And they choose life. They choose obedience. They choose faithfulness. And then they struggle. They fall. They mess up. They get it wrong. They fail. That's the story of the Old Testament, isn't it, y'all? And so we come to this point here where Joshua tells them, choose the day. Choose the day. Choose to follow the law. Choose to do what God called your ancestors to. Or choose to reject. Choose which God you're going to serve. Choose to serve God. Serve the gods of your neighbors. But then Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, we, we, we often think of this as a placard we put on the walls of our houses. And that, that's, that's fine. That, that's not wrong. But Joshua here is not just talking about he and his wife and his children. But he's talking about his clan. He's talking about his, 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 all of his family, his tribe. He's basically saying, I don't care what you do, people of God, people of Israel. Choose what you're going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to stay faithful to the promises that were made. And we are going to renew our promises to God. We will be faithful. Choose what you want to choose. but we're going to choose faithfulness. See, and that's, that's one of those Christian phrases we use. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's dangerous, y'all. Do, do we mean that? Do we, do we really mean that? Or is that just a thing that we say because Christians are, going to, are supposed to say it? Are, are we as families, are we as families really saying that we will find our identity not on our finances, on our successes, on our achievements, on our popularity, on our social media likes. Are we saying that we're going to find our identity in these places? Or are we going to find them in God? Idolatry is not having a golden calf on top of your TV that's about to worship every night. 
Idolatry is where is our identity found? Where is our faith found? Where's our trust found? Where's our hope found? Where's our worth found? And for us to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, is to say that we as a family, we as a family are gonna choose God over everything, over everything. Not just over the things that we don't like, but over the things we do like. We're gonna place God first in our life above everything. That's what Joshua's calling the people to, to choose. Choose to put your faith in God above all else or choose to put your faith in something other than God. But choose, choose what you're gonna do because God wants us to choose. God, over in the old, over and over again in the Old Testament, in this time of covenants, God makes the people choose. Choose what you're gonna do. Choose who you're going to serve. Choose what's going to define you. Choose what's going to make you. Choose what's going to be who you are. Choose. And Joshua's saying, people of Israel, no matter what you choose, whether you choose Yahweh and the God of covenant, or whether you choose the pagan gods of your neighbors and their false sense of security, we will choose the Lord. We will choose the Lord. Choose. So they renew this covenant here at Shechem. They chose to be faithful. Maybe today we all need our Shechem, don't we? Maybe today we all need our time of renewal, our season of renewal our moment of renewal. Some of the most powerful moments in my life have been moments where I renewed my baptism, where I've come to the baptismal font and placed my hand in the water and remember that I've been marked as one for whom Christ died. And remember the promises that I made to him upon my confirmation, upon my conversion, upon my baptism. And I took upon me once again those promises that I made. Promises are made to be renewed. Maybe today you need to renew yours. Maybe we've allowed our promises to grow cold. Maybe we find our identity somewhere other than in God. Maybe we are finding our hope in something other than in Jesus. Maybe today is the day to renew our covenant. Maybe today is our Shechem. Maybe today is our choice. What are you going to do? What are you going to choose? Today, may we choose to be faithful to the one who's been faithful to us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of salvation. We thank you for the gift of your promises. We thank you for the ability to choose. God, give us grace now to choose to place you first in our life above all things, to renew our promises to you, renew our vows to you, renew our life in you. We love you. Let us choose you above all else. We ask it in Jesus' sweet and holy name. Amen.